Your Excellency, Bishop Shad, brother priests, recognizable sisters, and all dear friends in Christ, and particularly our growing generation. It is often said that those who are full of life hate repetition and doing the same things over again. I think it is the contrary that is true. The child is full of life. You put a child on your knee and bounce the child up and down two or three times, the child will say, do it again. I once had an uncle whom I thought could blow smoke through his ears. And I was always saying, do it again. And because nature is life, and God is life, every morning God says to the sun, do it again. And every evening to the moon and stars, do it again. Every springtime to the flowers, bloom again. And every time a child is born into the world, asking for a divine encore, do it again. And so, in response to the invitation of Bishop Shad, who was full of life, I am doing it again. the gatherings in the world, there is nothing that can quite equal a gathering of priests. And last night, we had a delightful dinner. Bishop Gilfoyle, Bishop Shad, and the priests of the house. At one point, we were talking scripture. And I was illustrating a point and I said, what was the name of the husband of Bathsheba? And Bishop Shad said, it's Uriah. And I said, no, I don't think that is quite the name. It's like that, but it's not Uriah. Well, God punished me. This morning I woke up at 4.30 startled. And I couldn't go back to sleep again. My day began at 4.30. And what was the thought that ran through my mind? It was the story of Bathsheba in Second Chronicles, and with absolute certitude flashed the name of Uriah. So this is, the, I promise you, my good people, it's the last time that I will argue with your pastor on any subject in Scripture. And apropos of thinking of names of scripture and details, I remember once talking to a very large congregation, and, and I was trying to think of a name, or maybe I knew it and was asking the congregation if anyone knew it. Now, there must have been easily 1,200 people in the church. And I said, does anybody here in this church 
know this name. And one hand went up. And I said, you're a Protestant. And she said, yes, I am. Because they know the scriptures far better than we do. Now, you've had a reading this morning from Luke. Try to remember it. It's from the 15th chapter of St. Luke. Luke has been called the scribe of the meekness of Christ. Whenever you want to read anything about women in the New Testament, go to Luke. He was a doctor, you know, doctor of medicine. Whenever you want to find a canticle of joy, go to Luke. And any songs and stories of mercy particularly, go to Luke. Now, this 15th chapter of Luke has three parables. A parable is an earthly incident used to illustrate something heavenly. We read only two of the parables, but there are three in this 15th chapter. One is about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. The second, which we read today, was about a woman who had ten pieces of money. And the third was about a father who had two sons. So, you have one hundred, ten, and one. In each instance, there's one that's lost. Out of the one hundred sheep, one was lost. Ten pieces of money, one was lost. Two sons, one became a hippie. And the point of the gospel is, how much our blessed Lord is concerned about one soul, about yours. Today we're so much rightly concerned with social justice that we're apt to forget there's such a thing as individual justice. And that God is not only concerned about poverty, he's concerned about the poor man. And also concerned about sin. Today we, we neglect sin, almost afraid that it may give us, as they say, a complex of guilt. As a matter of fact, sin is not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is the denial of sin. If I am blind, for example, and deny there's any such thing as light, will I ever see? If I am deaf and deny there's any such thing as sound, will I ever hear? And if I deny there's any such thing as sin, how can I ever be forgiven? I had a young wife come to see me the other day. I witnessed her marriage six years ago. And she told me that 
her husband is unbelievably cruel. Will stick his fingers in her eyes. Beats her with his fist. Leaves black and blue marks. I sent for him. Pretended I knew nothing at all about the case, just merely to talk to him. He said, you know, I wish you would talk to my wife. I can't do anything with her. I can't understand why she acts the way she does to me. I'm a very kind man. In fact, I would say I'm very merciful. And if you possibly can, discover what's wrong with her. He refused to see that he had done wrong, that he was violent, that he was a sinful man. Well, now let's go through these 100, I mean these three parables, in order to discover the mercy of God, and then begin to apply that to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, our Lord in the confessional, and in your meditation. You know, this, this pedestal here makes kind of a noise, doesn't it, whenever I touch it. And everything is recorded. For example, every cough of yours is recorded for all eternity. Every mispronunciation of mine is recorded. Living in this electronic age, indeed, fills us with great responsibilities. Well, I think that these three parables reveal to us the different ways in which souls are lost. Take, for example, the 100 sheep. One was lost. Now, how, how is a sheep lost? Well, a sheep is a very stupid animal. And a sheep will just munch grass and, and uh, maybe we'll see a hole in the hedge or fence. We'll go through it, never think of where the hole was, and get lost. And so this lost sheep corresponds to stupid people who just fall into sin. Of course, one of the things that the good Lord forgot in the parable was that the sheep always follow other sheep. So I can remember, I can remember you good students, when I was in school, there was a problem that was presented to us. If a farmer had 48 sheep in one field, And three sheep went into another field. How many would be left in the first field? Forty-five? No, none. Because sheep always follow one another. They'd all be the other field. But our blessed Lord, our blessed Lord didn't intend to bring that out. He merely wanted to indicate to us that there are, there are some lost souls that are just silly. Mindless, stupid. And they're apt to follow anything or anybody. They're the ones that would follow. They say they are wearing green this year. Who are they? I wish somebody would identify the they. For example, well, they say the church doesn't believe in this anymore. They say the Vatican Council changed all that. Well, now, they're the stupid sheep. 
who follow this vague they instead of the definite authority of the church itself. So one sheep is lost. And as our Lord tells the story, the shepherd left the ninety-nine and went in search of the one that was lost. And in the land where our blessed Lord was telling this parable, that was a very difficult task, task to go through crags and thorns and woods and so forth to find the lost sheep. When he finds the lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, brings it back into the house and asks his neighbors to rejoice because he found the lost sheep. He did nothing. He never put any of the 99 on his shoulders. It was only the lost sheep for which he did that. Then our blessed Lord went on to make the point. He said, even the angels of heaven rejoice more over one sinner doing penance. The 99 who need not penance. It seems almost an encouragement to be lost, that we should be put upon the shoulders of our blessed Lord. But the point of the story is that the mercy and the kindness of our blessed Lord and how much he seeks us out. We only knew it. The little inspirations that we get, unconscious little things, like the angel hitting me on the head this morning and said, his name is Uriah. These are little motivations of grace prompting you to respond to the shepherd. The next parable was about a woman who had ten pieces of money. Now, we do not know exactly why she should have had ten pieces of money, but very probably in those days, a young woman who was about to be engaged would string together a dowry and her ten coins would be put upon a necklace and she would wear them about her neck. Well, even after marriage, a necklace of this kind was very precious to her. So our blessed Lord says, here's a woman who has ten pieces of money she loses one piece. Now notice here the difference from the first parable. In the first parable, the shepherd goes out to seek the lost sheep. Our blessed Lord says that when she loses that money, she lights a candle and she begins sweeping the house turning everything over, looking in every cranny and crook, under every chair, until she can find the lost coin. I think that the first parable signifies those lost souls that just wander off into the world and leave the church. And this second one, I think, refers to the church itself, to souls that have given up the practice of faith. Because how does a woman lose a coin? You see, the lost coin is quite different from the lost sheep. Sheep loses itself because it's silly, it's stupid. But how does a woman lose a coin? Through carelessness. 
Did the coin lose itself? No. And this parable may refer to those who are lost through the carelessness of others. For example, parents in raising their children. Teachers in school. In these days when there has been, not here, but in many places where there's a failure to teach, teach Christ in catechism, and children grow up thinking that all that Christianity means is self-fulfillment, they are lost later on to the church. And they're lost not altogether from their own fault. They're lost because others refused to be mindful of them and attentive and devoted. When the woman finds the coin, she calls in the neighbors. Just as the shepherd delighted with others. So the woman rejoices at the discovery of the lost coin. And again the Lord says that the angels in heaven rejoice at the recovery of a soul that is lost. So there are two types so far of fallen away Catholics, if you will. One the stupid kind, and the other because we are stupid. And because we're not taking adequate care of you. Then comes the third parable, which was not read this morning. But you know it. The parable of the prodigal son. Isn't it strange? We always speak of the, the prodigal son. We never speak of the elder son. Have you ever heard a sermon on the elder son? And I think both are equally important. Here are two sons, both of whom lost the father's love. One because he was too bad, and the other because he was too good. Goody good. That was the elder son. Now in this case, a soul is lost not on the count of silliness, not through the carelessness of others, but a soul is lost through its own will. Now, when you boys and girls grow up, let me tell you, there's something floating around in the air of the world today which you should never use an expression. And that is, got to be me. i got to do my thing. I've got to be free. Since when? Do you think there could ever be a football team, as, as Coach Madden of the Oakland Raiders said to me a year ago, I met him in Pittsburgh where he was playing. He said, I have men coming to me from Catholic colleges who say, well, i got to do my thing. He said, how can I have a team if everybody does his thing? He said, I thought Christian charity meant doing the other person's thing, forgetting about yourself. Now, that's how one of the sons became wild. He said to his father, 
Your authority restricts my freedom. Why should I be obedient to you? Even if I am to receive an inheritance, I've got to be myself. I'm independent. I'm a pendulum without a clock. I'm a carbon paper without an original. So give me my share of inheritance. You know, the prodigal son leaves, rich. And we only know he wasted his substance living riotously. And then he lost all of his money and began to lose his friends. And he sunk so low that he who was a Jew became a feeder of swine. The Jews were not allowed to keep pigs. And so he had to go to the trough twice a day to feed pigs. Sometimes self-willed souls like that. Like sometimes sinners and alcoholics will return only when they've hit bottom. And then the prodigal, just one tiny line in that story, he entered into himself. He saw himself as he really was. And he said, I will go back to my father's house. Now, in the first parable, the shepherd sought out the lost sheep. In the second, the woman in the house sought out the lost coin. In the third parable, the father does not go out to seek. He waits in the road. Because it's going to do no good. The boy is so self-willed. If he met him in his affluence, he never would have returned. But the father's waiting on the road, and in the distance he sees him. He puts a ring on his finger, puts on a new cloak, and then has a banquet for him. Kills the fatted calf. And calls in all the neighbors to rejoice. For he says, he that was lost is found. Here again, our blessed Lord is revealing the kind of heart that he has. A heart for sinners, always ready to receive them back. But when the prodigal son comes back, the elder son, hearing the music, and the joy and the laughter of the banqueting inquires what's going on in the house. Well, your, your brother has come back. And he went to his father. He was very angry about it. He said, I've stayed home with you. I did everything you asked me to do. You never even gave me a goat. And here, this son of yours, see, not his brother. He didn't say my brother. This son of yours wasted his substance with harlots. When our Lord told the story, our Lord never mentioned the fact that the older boy, that the younger boy, the prodigal, had wasted his substance on harlots. 
Never once. The older boy makes that interpretation. He wasted his substance on evil women. Now you kill for him the fatted calf. He is typical of some of us who stay in the church and get no joy out of it. We obey the precepts of the church, but somehow we're not in love with the Father. Our Lord is not personal. Our piety is abstract. It never really gets down to a realization of how much the Father loves us. Because as the Father said, well, everything I have is yours, but you have not enjoyed this relationship. I can remember years ago, there was a famous criminal by the name of Dutch Schultz. He was a Jew. And he was shot in some gang war. And he lived about an hour or two after the shooting. A woman with whom he was living, a young woman, not his wife, as soon as that Schultz was shot, sent for a priest. She was a Catholic, no living in sin. And the priest came to that Schultz, and that Schultz became a Catholic on his deathbed died in the faith. Do you know that I received at least a hundred letters from people protesting against the saving of the soul of Dutch Schultz? They should hear this man can go on stealing all of his life and being evil and then is saved in his deathbed. They begrudge the good Lord for taking on this lost soul. They were like the elder son, who refused to see the mercy of the good Lord when actually we should be rejoicing. I tell you, there's nothing that so much rejoices the soul of a priest as, as the return of a lost soul. And St. James tells us that if we save a soul, we save our own which makes salvation rather easy. Thus far, you have the three parables of mercy. The one hundred to one, the ten to one, and the two to one. Now another hidden point in the parables. Who suffered more? The lost sheep or the shepherd? Who suffered more, the lost coin or the woman who lost it? Who suffered more, the prodigal or his father? Who suffers more when there's sin? The heart of Christ. He's the one who suffers. And that is behind 
or rather the secret of devotion to the Sacred Heart. Every mother, for example, who has a delinquent daughter suffers far more than the delinquent daughter. Every father with a wild son suffers far more than the son. And our Lord suffers more, suffers more even now, in his mystical body of the Church, suffers more than all of the sinners suffer in their loss. And that was why the good Lord could scream from heaven when Saul was persecuting the Church, Why are you persecuting me? Why do you do this to me? May the, this meditation on, the, on these three parables of mercy be something to which you will return often and read in the Gospel of Luke. Now, when you go home, pick up your Bible, knock the dust off it, and turn to Luke. He's in the New Testament. Uh, you'll always remember the four evangelists, because I can remember when I was a boy pointing to the four corners of a bed. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God bless the bed that I lie on. And I still say that every night. It was one of the first prayers that I learned. And every night when I go to bed, I always point to the four corners of the bed and say that prayer. I can remember a, uh, a learned Anglican divine in London. Dean Ng was his name. He was the dean of St. Paul's. And he denied that St. John wrote the fourth gospel. And G.K. Chesterton wrote once about him and asked, if he slept on a three-cornered bed, because he left out John. Would you go home and read Luke, then come back during the day, and say a prayer for sinners, and for the conversion of sinners? You see, I've, oh, oh, goodness gracious, I've talked 30, 30 minutes. You boys have a hard seat there. So I think it's time... It's time for me to stop, and I will talk to you again during the day. But let there be this word of consolation to you. If you had never sinned, you never could call Christ Savior. Sometimes a reconciliation is sweeter than an unbroken friendship. That is why we call the sin of Adam, the Felix culpa, the happy fault. Would God have ever come to this earth if there had been no sin and if Adam had not fallen? What is your view? Would he? Dan Scotus, one of the medieval theologians, and in our day, Tyard de Chardin both say, yes, he would. Because the perfection of the universe would have demanded that there be a manifestation of God in the perfect man, Christ. But the great theologian of the church, St. Thomas, and the general opinion of the church is that Christ would never have become man if Adam had not sinned. And St. Thomas Aquinas says, and the reason for that is that every time we find a story of the Incarnation and the coming of Christ, it is always in relationship to the forgiveness of sin. So that is why our Lord came 
to shed his blood for us. And the word blood is used 400 times in the scripture. That was the price our Lord had to pay for our salvation. No wonder, St. Peter says, you were bought not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. God love you.